0: Who's having fun? Y'all having fun? This is going to be, a, I think, a, a really, really great series. Family Circus. Those two words just go together so nicely, don't they? In fact, you could even argue that they're like synonyms, right? Synonym, synonym, words mean the same thing. Any School of Rock fans in the house? Remember that show? Yeah, synonyms. These words mean the same thing. Now, to call your family a circus doesn't necessarily mean that you're calling it a bad thing. The circus is just kind of its own thing, right? It's a little over the top. It's it's a little bizarre. A little chaos involved, but it can also be a really great time. So I want to do I want to let you in a little bit of our circus. Our circus tends to come out at night. Any you know, other young families in the house? And trying to get three kids to bed can be crazy, a little nuts. And in fact, a couple of years ago I was able to get this on camera, right? So just watch. Just listen. Mama. To this. Listen. There's one one of them. There's one of them. Just wait. No, my mama. Mama, Mama, come see me. Oh, just wait. It's great. Quiet, Gigi. Mama. Hey, nobody's sleeping in our house. I know there's like verses about not antagonizing your children, but sometimes you just can't help it. Can I get right? Over the next several weeks, we're gonna be dealing with all things family. And I just wanna say this right off the bat, that, that, that this is not just gonna be another marriage and parenting series. That no matter where you find yourself, whatever stage of life you're in, whether you're married, you're single, you're dating, you're divorced, I believe there's gonna be a lot to offer for you in this, in this series. We're going to cover a lot of ground. We're going to get really, really practical over the next several weeks. This morning, though, i was going to be honest, it isn't all that practical. This might be the least practical message in the entire series. However, I believe it's, it, it may be the most important. i got one goal this morning. Here's my goal. My goal is, is to sort of stir some things up for all of us in this room. My, my goal this morning is, is to create a sense of urgency in us when it comes to how we approach the topic of family. Now, we, we can all, even this morning, begin to, to, to see, to know, to believe that the family really is the greatest show on earth. Now, I'll never forget what it was like to look at my, my firstborn, my son, for like the very first time, how surreal that was. So It's like look at a child that that somehow is a part of you, right? But it isn't you. It's it's weird. It's it's like looking at at you, but outside of you. Who knows what I'm talking about? And and of course, the same thing happened when my daughters were born. But when it's the first, it's all sort of new, right? And and it's all just surreal. But it it literally felt like a piece of my heart fell off and grew a face. I mean, it's kind of a weird image, but that's what I'm talking about. It's just sort of of strange. And And then it gets even more weird as they grow up and you watch your kids, you know, kind of become humans and fully developed people or whatever, they, they, they begin to resemble you in more ways than just their appearance. I mean, for instance, I love dessert. I was gonna tell you, I love dessert. Been a little better this year by keeping that under control, but I love a tasty treat. And my favorite dessert of all time, you're never gonna guess it, it's chocolate milk. I love a big glass of chocolate milk. Anybody else in the house? I mean, that's just your thing, just me. Make some noise. Y'all are sleepy this morning. Come on. This is a circus, right? Love a big glass of chocolate milk. And and what I'll do often is get the biggest cup you can find in the house, and then I'll go and get the smallest spoon I can find. And this is weird. I drink my chocolate milk one spoonful at a time. It's just how I do it. It's just a strange thing. And some of you are like, well, it kind of makes sense. That way you can savor it. No, 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 no. I slurp like a machine. I mean it is it is one of the strangest things. You gotta get this on video, maybe I'll show you sometime. But but I get into this rhythm when I'm drinking my chocolate milk, and it is just it's, it's it's amazing. I mean it's like I was in the zone. You don't talk to me when I'm drinking my chocolate milk. Right? This is just how I do it, it's how I've always done it. Okay, now here. A couple weeks ago, our daughter, Gigi, our middle daughter, she was getting over a stomach bug. And this thing lasted for like six weeks. It was rough. And it was torture for her because she's watching her brother and sister eat all the normal things. We had to keep her diet really plain. So she's got like this bucket list. We told her, whenever you, whenever you start feeling better, you can eat whatever you want. So she had like a bucket list of all the things that she was gonna eat. At the top of that bucket list though, guess what? Big glass of chocolate milk. So the day comes where she's finally feeling better and the bug is gone. She comes downstairs and she declares, I want the biggest glass of chocolate milk in the entire world. My wife looks at me, she's like, oh, it's so sweet, you know, just like her daddy. By the way, how do you think my wife feels about the slurping? <laughs> of course, it's like her favorite thing about me, right? <laughs> no, it's one of those things that you're grateful she found out about after you got married. There's a chance, slight chance she could reconsider, right? So Gigi comes downstairs, she demands, I want this big glass of chocolate milk, we get her the glass of chocolate milk. <laughs> this is when it gets funny. She walks over to the drawer she pulls out the smallest spoon we have and goes over to the table and starts to do the exact same thing. And I'm telling you, she's never seen me do this. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. You don't do anything you enjoy until after the kids are in bed. Am I right? But I mean, she's never seen me drink a glass of chocolate milk. Of course, my wife is watching this and her face just turns white. She looks at me, she's like, you gotta be kidding me. I'm like, it must be genetic, honey, right? <laughs> now you get to experience your slurping and stereo, but something that's become so, so real to me since becoming a parent, since starting a family, is that, you know, my life and the story that I'm telling, it's not just about me anymore. I mean, you can actually see it, you know, being poured in being invested. You, you can see it from here that, it, that it's going to continue and carry on with the people that, that come after me man and at the same time since becoming a parent i don't know about you but i've i've realized that i'm a lot more like my own parents than i ever thought you ever had one of those moments right where you hear yourself saying that thing your parents used to say you swore you'd never say it right and like you're like oh my god what's happening to me but here's the honest truth is that you and i nobody is an island Unto themselves. You've heard that saying before. Nobody is. All of us have been influenced. We've been shaped by by the people who have come before us. At the same time, our lives right now are impacting it, or shaping the people who will come after us. Bottom line is family matters. Family matters. We see this from the very beginning in, in, in the scriptures. Very first book of the Bible, book of Genesis. Sometimes in order to understand the scriptures, what you have to do is you've got to zoom out. You've got to look at a book. Look at the entire book as a whole. Sure, it's helpful to to sort of zoom in and and look at a chapter, look at a verse, take apart the words. But sometimes what's really helpful is to step back and look at the, the entire thing. The book of Genesis is actually organized around this one Hebrew word. This Hebrew word, Toledot. This word means the generations of, or the families of. And all throughout the book of Genesis, what you'll find is 11, sometimes is debated, maybe it's 12, genealogies. They're all over the place. And scholars say that, that these genealogies actually structure the entire book. You can't understand Genesis unless you deal with the genealogies. These genealogies are what actually drive the narrative of the book of Genesis, So what does all this mean? Well, on the one hand, the book of Genesis is about our story, right? Our origin, how God brought all of this thing into existence, how God got all of this started. But at the same time, the book of Genesis is about the growth, the expansion, the development of the human family. These two things go hand in hand. I mean, the unfolding of creation is caught up in the expansion and the development of the human family. You see, the family is God's vessel for shaping the world. Family matters. I mean, the family right now that you're investing in is the primary way in which you are gonna shape the world. Andy Stanley, pastor in Atlanta, said it like this. For many of us, the the biggest impact we'll make on the world won't be something we do. It will be somebody we raise. I think this should create a sense of urgency in us when it comes to how we approach family. There's no neutral in this. There's no autopilot, folks. The choices that you're making with the family that you're responsible for, I'm telling you, it makes a difference. It's important. But at the same time, not only does, does the family shape the world, but at the same time, family shapes us. And here's where I want us to hang out this morning. I want us to spend some time here. Before we start talking about the family that, that we are investing in right now, or maybe the future family that we will invest in right now, I want to spend some time talking about our family of origin, talking about where we come from. Because all of us have been shaped, every single one of us. Chances are, if you were to get quiet, you were to get honest and take a good long look, and how you live, the choices you make, how you see the world, what matters to you, I promise, here's what you'll find. You'll either find, it's all being driven out of a desire either to be just like your family or a desire to be nothing like your family. It's because family shapes us. I remember spending time with this couple who shared this image with me that I think captures all of this really well. It was a couple that had just gone through some really heavy stuff. Really heavy stuff, and a lot of it had to do with some family dynamics. But but they they both came from different backgrounds. All right, the, the husband came from a pretty dysfunctional place. His family was was a mess, not a lot of health there. The wife though was a complete opposite. Came from this really strong family, great background, and this chaos sort of came up, you know, in 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 their in their family. And the guy was sharing with me, he gave me this image that I think helped to sort of capture the role family played for them. He said, you know, it was weird. It was like, I saw my wife, and she was standing there on this, this sort of foundation, this big concrete slab. It was thick, and it was solid. And it was like all this, this weight suddenly dropped out of the sky, and it landed on her shoulders. But she had this place to stand. It like She had this place to put her feet, this thing to push off of, and she was able to hold it there. She was able to, to deal with it like, but then there was me and I was standing on this, on this floor. I don't know what it was made out, but was, this weight fell from the sky. And when I caught it, it was like this trap door opened up underneath my feet. I didn't have anywhere to stand. All I could do was fall. I think for a lot of us, that's a, that's a really strong picture of the role family can play in our lives. I mean, for some of us, when, when stuff gets hard, we, we have this place to run to, don't we? We have these examples to look through, these strong people, these folks that we come from, we've watched them endure difficult things. Then there's some of us, man, if we're honest, family is like a black hole. It's this thing that constantly sucks us in, sucks us back. In fact, most of the the drama in our life has to do with our family, doesn't it? It's a strong picture, I think, of the role that family, family plays. I want to say a word real quick to those of you who come from that strong family. I want to say something to you. Don't take that for granted. Cherish that. Honor that. Be grateful for it, especially young people in the room. I want to say a word to you. There's, there's this season in our lives, isn't there? Teenage, whatever you want to call it, young adult, or for whatever reason, it's like we think our family's lame and then other families better, Right? Or, or there's just this thing, for some reason, no matter what, we just, we will not want nothing to do with our family. I think it's, it's normal, it's a part of development, it's, it's fine. But I do wanna caution you also that it, it can be dangerous to get far, to remove yourself from a strong family. Because there's real strength there you're gonna need one day. You're gonna need it. And those of you who, who find yourself living in this legacy, and you look back and you see all these strong women, Right, this legacy, you know, like guard that, guard it. Be intentional about handing it off to those who come after you. It doesn't happen by accident, you know that. Like be intentional about that because here's, here's the thing, families like that, families that are strong like that, not only are they an advantage to the ones who, who, who are a part of them right now, but, but I don't know if you've noticed this or not, these families often become havens, safe havens, these safe places for people who don't have it. It's like, it's like that one house in your neighborhood growing up. Man, you loved to be there, didn't you? You like being there more than like being in your own home? If that's you, do me a favor. Don't be embarrassed by that. Guard it, share it, cherish it. Be intentional about seeing it, seeing it handed off, seeing it passed on. Now, most of us in this room, we're somewhere in the middle of all that, aren't we? Like our families are like equal parts health and dysfunction. Our, our foundation we're standing on is kind of like wet concrete, isn't it? And there's parts of it that are solid that you can stand on. But then we also know there's parts, there's people. If you get anywhere near that, you're going to get stuck. That's what 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 most of our families are like. And and what I want us to do more than anything, I want all of us to walk out of here this morning, again, with a sense of urgency, to begin to try and understand the type of family we come from our family of origin, to try and understand with more clarity the the, the type of family system we grew up in that influenced us. And we don't have time this morning to unpack all the different family dynamics and different family systems that that we often come from. And so here's the deal. I want you to write this down. The next two Wednesday nights, we're going to have a class up in the chapel, 6.15 to 7.30. David Olshine, y'all know David Olshine, right? myself and Trevor Miller, we're all gonna spend some time together up in a chapel and we're gonna sort of walk through the various family systems that many of us grew up with and we're gonna begin to wrestle with, how do these shape us, right? How do these influence the way that we enter into future relationships? How do these family dynamics begin to influence us for good or for bad when it comes to sort of the type of marriage that we have, right, or or how we raise our kids? It's gonna take some time. So the next two weeks, I'd love to see you up there spending some time with us. But more than anything, here's what we have to understand. We gotta deal with this stuff. We, we have to begin to understand it because whether we like to admit it or not, I promise you, it's making, it's showing up in your life. It's impacting the way that you approach relationships, the way that you, you, you view marriage, the way that you raise your kids. It's making a difference. It's showing up. And from my experience, whatever we don't deal with, we tend to repeat Whatever we don't deal with, we tend to hand off to the people who come after us. This is something we see over and over again in the scriptures. If you open the Bible trying to find an example of a healthy family, you're gonna be severely disappointed. All the families in the Bible are nuts. They're nuts. I mean, David, take King David, a man after God's own heart. He and his son start a civil war over an issue they have. I'm serious, the first civil war in the history of the nation of Israel is over a father-son issue. And if you read the story, you're like, I feel like they could have resolved this a different way. Or take Jesus's family, for example. His parents left him at the temple in Jerusalem when he was a young boy. They're halfway home before they realize he's not there. And at this this point in time, he's maybe like their their only kid. It's like Home Alone or something. It's like Jesus was the first Kevin McAllister. You're Kevin! Jesus. It's a bad joke. Don't laugh at that. I'm serious. You will not find a healthy example of family when you read through the scriptures. Some of us will feel right at home, right? I mean, Take, take Israel's first family, for example. The nation of Israel, if you read through the scriptures, it begins with a husband and wife, with Abram and Sarah, right? God comes to Abram and says, listen, I'm gonna grow you and your wife into a nation. At this point, they're really old. And they're like, right? This is the promise. I'm going to grow you all into a nation, and through that nation, I'm going to bless the entire world. Through that nation, I'm going to set the world right. That's the promise God makes to Abram. He says, look at the stars. Can you count them? That's how many, that's how many descendants you're going to have. So he makes these unbelievable promises. Well, in the same chapter, we're told that this famine strikes the place where, where Abram's living, and he has to go to Egypt. Egypt's the only place that has food. And so he goes down to Egypt, and when he gets there, he has this really awkward conversation with his wife. This is kooky. He says, listen, listen, baby, you're good looking. I mean, you're fine, right? You're beautiful. And here's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid that when we get to Egypt, all the Egyptians are gonna notice how pretty you are and they're gonna kill me and they're gonna take you for themselves. So here's what we're gonna do. This is crazy stuff. He says, we're gonna pretend that you're my sister. Let's just tell them you're my sister. That way it'll go well for me and they'll make sure not to hurt you, not to harm you. This is what they do. It's bizarre, isn't it? They go down to Egypt and they tell everybody that, oh, that's just my sister. And sure enough, she even catches the attention of Pharaoh. Pharaoh sees how beautiful this woman is and he calls her to himself. Thankfully, when she gets there, Pharaoh starts getting sick. He gets all these diseases and he realizes she's a married woman. He connects the dots and realizes they've been lying the entire time. It almost blows up in Abraham's face and they kick kick him out, they send him away. That's nuts, isn't it? It's a little weird. Well, guess what? 14 chapters later, Abraham's son Isaac does the exact same thing. The exact same thing. A famine strikes, they have to go into a new land, the land of the Philistines. Same fear. I'm afraid they're gonna think you're so pretty, they're gonna take me out. And so he tells, well, let's lie about this. And again, it, almost, it blows up in their face. And so what we see in Israel is there's this seed of deceit that gets sown. They lie. And what you see is it gets passed, it gets repeated from generation to generation. So, one of the things we see in the Bible is is that there are these generational patterns of dysfunction that get handed off, that get repeated. Some people call these curses. They call them generational curses. And I feel like it's a little, a little distracting, but what it is, is it's these patterns of dysfunction, patterns of brokenness that tend to repeat themselves over and over again from generation to generation. And so, so Isaac has these two boys, right? Two twins, Jacob and Esau. You know what Jacob's name means? Deceiver. How would you like that? Boy, you liar. Right, it's your name, Deceiver. And he lives into it. Later in life, when his dad gets old, he can't see. He lies about who he is. He, he pretends to be his older brother Esau. He lies to his father, tricks him into giving him the blessing of the older son and the inheritance that goes along with it. This lie almost tears the whole entire family apart. So it's this seed of deception you see repeated. If you were to look through your family, just look back through the generations. One of the things you'll probably notice is there's a pattern of dysfunction. There are these similar things that show up generation after generation, repeat themselves. Until somebody wakes up to it. Until somebody has the guts to stare it in the face. Until somebody finally says, you know what? It's enough. stops here. It's not happening anymore. Whatever we don't deal with, folks, hear me. We tend to repeat it. We tend to hand it off. There's no neutral in this thing. You don't just get married and have kids and put on cruise control and neutral. No, you, you're shaping the world right now. You will shape the world and how you ch- decide to raise your kids. Now, this is important, I think, even for those of us who come from healthy backgrounds. I'm not talking to those of us who, who come from train wrecks. Even if you come from a really healthy background, I think that there's, there, there's a word here you need to hear to really look back and try to understand the family from which you came. Because one of the things I've noticed from folks who who do come from healthier backgrounds is that they tend to carry with them these sort of expectations their spouse can never live up to. Remember, God has sort of infused the family with this nuclear power, this power to shape things. And so you growing up in in, in your your home of origin, you grew up in a particular type of world, didn't you? That that, that world had its own rules, its own roles, its own traditions, its own own way of doing things, its own ways of seeing the world. And then you fall in love with somebody who comes from a totally different type of world. They've got different traditions, different roles. You know, you put white lights on the Christmas tree. They put colored lights on the Christmas tree. This is different. Men and women, husbands, fathers and, and mothers play different roles in these families, right? And then you decide to get married. What happens? These worlds do what? They collide. And a lot of conflict within marriage has to do with this sort of difficulty of merging these two worlds together, of learning to live by, by different rules. And like I said, a lot of you, that, that you come from these healthy backgrounds, which is great, what you do sometimes is you carry these expectations from your family of origin that your spouse can never live up to. I, mean, I wonder how many of us in this room right now, if we were honest, and we feel like we're always living in the shadow of one of your in-laws. Don't raise your hand. You know what I mean, right? It's like whenever there's a problem, who do they call, right? You feel like no matter what you do, you, you, can't, you can't recreate how it was for them growing up. You can't make it that good. The Bible speaks about marriage in terms of leaving and cleaving. It's a nice rhyme, which is cool, Right? What's it talking about? Well, when you get married, what you're doing is you're committing to leaving the world you grew up in, to leaving the rules that you live by in your family of origin, and you're committing to creating a brand new one with your spouse. Now, it doesn't mean you leave all that behind. A lot of that, it's it's your place of strength. It's, it's, It's where you look for an example. It's good. You hold on to some of that, but you're not committed to just recreating it. You're committed to creating something new. With your spouse, so all of us, I'm telling you, there needs to be a sense of urgency. I guarantee you, if you if we were to spend time together, you with me, you and your spouse or whoever it is, and we're trying to unpack you know, some of the the conflicts you have. I know you all got some, right? Some of y'all got in a fight on the way to church today. A lot of this, some of this, has to do with the fact that you don't look at this the same way. You come from different families, you come from different worlds. Really, what it's about is beginning to create a new one out of those two. So again, come out to that class on Wednesday night, right? It'll be a whole lot of fun. You got the three stooges are leading it anyway, right? So that should be a whole lot of fun. But here's how I want to finish this morning. I want us to sort of finish here. I want to finish by confronting ourselves with what the gospel has to say about this. If you have your Bibles, flip to John chapter one. We're going to get there in a minute. I want to spend some time really confronting ourselves. That's the word I want to use, confronting. What does the gospel of Jesus Christ have to say about all of this? Particularly to those of us who come from dysfunction. Those of us who come from, from really unhealthy families. Because we often, we often live with this sense of doom, don't we? Like, like if you come from an unhealthy background, it, it kind of hangs with you like a cloud. And, and it sort of stays there. And I was talking with a friend of mine just a couple weeks ago. Man, he, was, he got really vulnerable. Really brave. And he, he said, you know, for a while, but like, like I'd just been in a funk. Just in a sort of funk. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. It was just just really uncomfortable. And then he's like, then I realized I was about to turn the same age that my dad was when he took his own life. And it was like all this stuff just came up out of nowhere. And I was, you know, thinking, like, like how did he get to that place? Was it slow? Was it gradual? Just wake up one morning. I mean, what, what happened? And there's, there's this weird sort of cloud that follows you around. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe there's some of you in the room and, and it's like you've been dating this person for a really long time. And it's like at that point where you gotta take that next step, but you can't do it. You're terrified. You're terrified because you're afraid that if you get married, that your marriage is gonna turn out just like your parents' marriage. I, mean, I know what I'm talking about. Or Some of you, you were abandoned when you were a kid. Somebody just took off and left you. And so you've struggled to have meaningful relationships with really anybody because you're afraid they're gonna do the same thing. Some of you were abused as a child and you've allowed that shame to define your entire life. You hide. It's the name that you wear. Then there are those of us, man, we've, we've resolved ourselves. We said, you know what, forget that. I'm not living into this. In fact, I'm gonna give everything I have to be the complete opposite of it. Whatever they did, I'm doing the opposite. I'm strong. I'm not going to let this get the best of me. You know what? If we're honest, we're the only ones who know how exhausting that is. Am I right? I mean, here's the thing. Whether you just give up and you just live into it and you just repeat the same mistakes over and over again or or, or whether you live with this sense of fear and anxiety about it that maybe it's going to get me, maybe it's going to get me, or whether you do the opposite and you, you run 100 miles in the other direction, you know what? It's still controlling you it's still dictating how you live your life. I mean, some of us grew up in homes where, man, the affection was there as long as we were performing. We got the good grades. We did good in sports. We looked apart, man, the affection was there. But if we didn't, it was removed. And so we spend our lives never feeling like we can live up to, am I speaking to anybody right now? What's the gospel have to say to all of this? Let's look at, look at John chapter one, because the, the, the gospel writer of John he talks a lot about this in all of his writings, this whole idea of, of, of how the gospel invites us into something new, particularly when it comes to, comes to our families. John's the latest gospel, and he's writing to these people whose who's allegiance to Jesus has actually caused them to be kicked out of their own communities. These are all faithful Jewish folks. The church was primarily made up of, of Jewish folks. And they had a problem with these Christians because they're coming along saying that this Jewish rabbi who was killed was in fact the Messiah. And oh, by the way, he was God in the flesh. They had a hard time with that. It sounded too weird, too cuckoo for them. So a lot of these early Christians found themselves being excommunicated, being kicked out of their families because of their faith convictions. And so one of the things you notice as you read through John's writing is this emphasis on a new birth. This emphasis on a new family. Listen to what he says from the very beginning of his gospel. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Speaking about Jesus. Man, let these words sink in. Lord Jesus, let these words sink in. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Did you hear that? Children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Somebody say amen to that. But did you hear what he said? People who have embraced the saving love of God, who've, been, who've said yes to Jesus Christ, they've given the right to become children of God. And then he talks about this new sort of birth that happens, this, this birth that, that transcends your physical birth. This birth that takes place deep down at the core of who you are that actually changes you. I, I've been in this ministry thing now for half my life, and there's a lot of things that I'm not sure of. But here's one thing I know, and I hope you'll hear me. I hope you'll just take my word for this. And some of it, if, if any of you know this to be true, please make some noise because right now you look like you're bored to death. Okay, but man, there is something real that happens. It's the craziest thing. I don't understand it, but I know it to be true. There's something real. I'm not talking metaphors. I'm talking real. When people open themselves up to the insane love of God, when the people, people identify with Jesus's sacrificial death on the cross, and they say yes to that, not in some weird cognitive way where we grow up going to the church, we check it off. I'm talking about this, this place of surrender. Then you say, yeah, I'm loved by God. You open yourself up to that. Something about you changes. You're given new DNA given a new identity. This is what John's talking about. He talks about a new birth. I mean, you read a couple chapters later in chapter three and he has this conversation with Nicodemus and he, he talks about his need to be born from above, to be born again. This is what he's talking about. It's new birth. And I know it sounds weird, but, but I think we all know what it means. And I think we all long for it. I'll prove it to you. One of my favorite times in worship is when we have infant baptism and we bring little babies up here on the stage. I love to watch y'all. It's like a bunch of goofballs. It's like you see a baby and you're like, oh. It's like turns you into a puddle, doesn't it? I mean, it doesn't matter that they're throwing up on themselves and they stink or whatever. It's like, just oh. Even the guys, y'all are my favorite. You're just like trying not to, oh. Right, you see this, what is it about a new baby that does that to us? You're looking at a new baby, you know what you're seeing? New birth, new creation. You're seeing somebody who hasn't been beat up by the world yet. Somebody hasn't been lied to. Somebody hasn't been betrayed, abandoned, haven't experienced a cold shoulder yet, they haven't blown it. When you look at a new baby, what you're looking at is somebody who has nothing behind them and everything in front of them. I'm here to tell you today this is exactly what's offered to us in Jesus Christ new birth, new creation. But here's the question. It's like John said to those who believed this. The question is, do you trust that? Do you trust that? Deep down to the core of who you are, do you trust it? It's like, it's like, it's like, it's like when you go to the circus. I, don't know if, I grew up in Indiana, Midwest, and we had these small town circuses. Anybody else anybody, been to one of those before? I'm talking about some weird stuff. Like you could wrestle orangutans. It's just weird stuff, right? But you'd go to these circuses and you would see like out in the parking lot, there'd be the big elephants. They'd have elephants out in the parking lot. These things are massive. I mean, you're next to an elephant. There's just power. These things are just huge. But what's weird is they don't go anywhere. They just stand out there in the parking lot. They barely move. They just kind of sit there and there's not much holding them in place. When you look down, it's literally, it's like this tiny little chain on their ankle that's attached to this little bitty peg in the ground. If that elephant wanted to, could rip that out of the ground, and just take off, go wherever he wanted, but he doesn't do it. You want to know why? Ever since that elephant was a baby, it's been taught that chain has power over him. That anytime you feel that resistance, there's no use in fighting it. You're stuck. That's where you're gonna stay. You're not free. You're here to perform. Ever since that elephant was a little baby, that chain was there. And that chain taught them, you're not strong enough. When you feel this resistance, no point in fighting it. This is where you're gonna stay. This elephant continues to believe that even when it's not true anymore. Hear this good news. In the name of Jesus Christ, that chain has no power over you. In the name of Jesus Christ, you can experience new birth. In the name of Jesus Christ, you don't have to repeat the same mistakes your parents did. In the name of Jesus Christ, that shame and guilt you carry with you as the child who was abused by the people you trusted the most doesn't have to have the last word and the final say over your life. In the name of Jesus Christ, today doesn't have to be like yesterday. Y'all make some noise. Come on. It's the truest thing I know. And I know a thing or two about this. I look back over my family. I see a pattern. It's this pattern of broken relationships between fathers and their sons. I got a half brother. I've never met him before. He and my dad lost a relationship before I was born. For the past four years, various reasons. I don't have time to get into him. It's complicated. It's not all one person's fault. But my dad and I don't have a relationship anymore. I got a nephew, and I've never met him. He reached out to me a couple months ago. It was the weirdest thing. It's my half brother's son, and he's he doesn't talk to his his dad anymore. And like ever since we had our, our firstborn, my son, Rowan, I've lived with this fear, sort of anxiety that no matter what I do, that's what's gonna happen to us. It has nothing to do with the reality of the situation. I mean, like I know my son's crazy about me. We have this great relationship. He's my buddy, but, but I live with this weird fear. It's kind of back in my mind. It's like, no matter what, it's, this is where it's, it's, where it's headed. It's, just, it's, what, it's what our family does. But I'll be honest, over the past several months, I know I'm a pastor, I'm supposed to have all this together, but this has been, man, over the past six years, it's been there, but over the past several months, I'm having a conversion moment. I'm beginning to realize that 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 doesn't have to happen. We're not destined for this. That that I can experience a new birth here, that I'm a new creation. I'm I'm, I'm more than the sum total of what's happened before me. And you're gonna ask me, what'd you do? What was your trick? You know what? I started trusting the gospel started believing that it's actually true. And I'm beginning to realize, you know what? I'm actually a pretty great dad. I don't got it all figured out. I make my mistakes. Say I'm sorry a lot. But my son's crazy about me. We don't have to go there. I don't know what this looks like for you. But I want you to know the same thing. That in Jesus Christ, you are a new creation. You can know new birth. I'm gonna go ahead and invite the band out right now. And we're going to sing through one last song. I don't know where you're at with this. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus Christ. You've never said yes to the saving love of God. I'm going to invite you to do so this morning. The front's open. You want to come down here and you want to pray or you want to stick around after worship and I'll, I'll pray with you, whatever it is. But, but we're going to begin to talk over the next several weeks. What does it look like to form the family around the truth of the gospel? But you know what? We got no business doing that if we don't believe the gospel's true. So that's where we're going to start this morning. And if that's you, and and maybe you want to bring your spouse up here and you just want to pray together, whatever it is, I want to invite you to do so. But the band's going to sing us through one last song that declares the faithfulness of God, the new creation that's available to us in Jesus. Will you pray with me right now? God, Jesus, I pray that you move in this place right now. I pray for the people who maybe are a bit cynical about all of this who feel like they're too far gone that they're a lost cause Lord I pray that you remind them the resurrection declares there's no such thing as a lost cause that you bring life from dead places I pray for the people in this room maybe who have been drifting when it comes to their investment in their family Lord I pray that you wake them up I pray for those of us who maybe don't have a family yet I pray that you help us to to unpack where we come from give us eyes to see But Lord, right now in this place, move among us. Do work in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.